Welcome to the Idea Pod, a podcast dedicated to exploring and interrogating applied ethics at the University of Leeds. I'm Gabby. And I'm Tyg. And today we'll be talking about a situation that has sparked a lot of controversy in the midst of this pandemic, the NHS workers. in which public health is being overwhelmed by an explosive amount of critical cases that need coverage. Despite not being prepared to attend to them and give them proper care, health workers put their own well-being on the line, sacrificing it to follow their duty of care. The situation varies among countries, but some of the general issues remain a global concern. In the particular case of the UK, I think it's interesting to note the role media plays on this. In the media, NHS workers have been portrayed as heroes and created this social reaction of thanking these heroes by setting up a charity donations. This, of course, is a response of doing the right thing. The public sees a need they can help with and in extreme situations like this, feels an, an imperative, sometimes a moral imperative, to contribute for the greater good. But there is this romantic idea of our heroes that is actually not beneficial to fix the real problems. It puts a sugar coat on the actual issues behind, which is basically public funding. Yeah, so I've been I've been conflicted about the the way healthcare workers have been portrayed and how society has responded to them. So on the one hand, like you, right, I appreciate the importance of showing support, gratitude and appreciation for what must be an extraordinarily difficult job, right? But some of the some of the way politicians have talked, some of the way uh, it's been portrayed as a war that we're fighting against coronavirus. Uh, I think Boris Johnson at one stage said it was like a, a, a thug assailing us. And this whole way of portraying coronavirus to me, when we couple it with this idea of nurses and healthcare workers as heroes, I wonder if there's a worry about an act of misrecognition, right? So we're portraying healthcare workers as heroes who are expected to show bravery and courage and to be admired. But fundamentally, at their heart, healthcare workers are workers and they're entitled to safe working conditions. Uh, not to act in dangerous working conditions and not to be put in the line of fire if we want to continue the metaphor, right? And I guess it's a very heavy cross to bear to be portrayed as a hero because you're expected then to be willing to put yourself at risk. And I'm not sure that's something many of these workers have asked for. Yeah, it's quite interesting uh, that you mentioned that because I think there is a, a special case for health workers in particular because this crisis is taking everything to an extreme. So it seems that what is what is part of their profession, what is part of what they have to deal um, with on a daily basis, is taking to levels that are asking, um, you know, special moral questions uh, around their situation. So. There seems to be a type of exploitation that is quite peculiar to this pandemic. So, 
But there is this um, interesting paper by Daniel Koltonsky um, that talks about vocations, exploitation, and professions in a market economy. And Daniel argues that those workers for whom their profession is a vocation are actually, you know, particularly vulnerable to a distinctive kind of objectionable exploitation, which is exploitation of their vocational commitment, highlighting that certain professions like care professions uh, and health workers, this exploitation is particularly objectionable because of the link of a professional's vocational commitment and their basic commitments to morality. So um, in the case that we're living now, uh, the position in which we are putting health workers is a morally tricky one since uh, the circumstances are playing with their moral compasses and taking them to levels they have never experienced before. NHS workers have been complaining about being unfunded for years before the pandemic. And despite any possible discrepancies in how we can see and analyze the problem of funding, it is a factor that affects their well-being and their work performance. So on top of all of those conditions, during this pandemic, uh, that difficult environment becomes completely hostile with psychological, physical, and ethical burdens that they didn't ask for, like you said. There is a special vulnerability they're subjected to since they're not just, you know, just doing their jobs. They're ex expected to transform into a force fighting the pandemic and their personal lives are being disrupted in a very special way. They do not only live with the fear of the pandemic, they are expected to sacrifice themselves for the public good. So here, there seems to be a very clear connection to what is fair. Is it fair to impose this moral burden on them? It seems like these circumstances could have been avoided um, as well from before. So, you know, there are a lot of questions about that type of fairness. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think it's a difficult question, right? So if we're talking about exploitation in terms of unfair advantage taking, right? So we have to then ask, well, okay, what would be a fair treatment of healthcare workers, given that they are in this really morally fraught work, right? This is the nature of their job is that they have to deal with these life and death situations, these scarce resource allocation problems, and it's difficult to know what would count as fair treatment given the difficulty of those jobs. So I've been thinking, so obviously one thing that's required is just basic, decent, safe conditions to work in, right? So that goes without saying, I think. But I mean, I think, it, go, it goes without saying, but it's still something that they're lacking. Yeah. So it's like we're taking it for granted, but it's still missing. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I'd be keen to do is to go further and say, okay, now that we're recognizing and taking seriously how significant their jobs are, I think we need to push beyond just kind of like safe conditions and a decent wage. I actually think there's a really good argument that on a lot of different perspectives of distributive justice, healthcare workers should be among the very best paid workers. So I think there's two or three really good arguments for this. Number one relates to what you were saying. Healthcare workers have a position where they have far more morally fraught, morally tragic decisions to make. As we've outsourced more and more health and care work, 
we've also outsourced a lot of moral decisions and morally tragic decisions. And I think because the rest of the society benefits from not having to make those decisions, those who do have to make those decisions, those who are forced to live with the guilt of making those decisions, I think do owe them compensation. I think that's one argument. I think another argument is, so Rawls has this theory of distributive justice where one principle is the difference principle, where inequalities are justified and only justified where they are to the benefit of the worst off. Now that's usually seen in terms of kind of efficiency gains, that if you create a business and the incentives make you or kind of encourage you to produce more that benefits the worst off, that's great. That kind of meets the difference principle. Whereas I think one alternative way we can look at it is that a well-functioning and well-motivated healthcare system does a lot for the worst off in society and for their living standards. So if we had a well-functioning, well-motivated healthcare force, that might be another way of meeting the distributive principle or the difference principle, I should say. And then I think a further one is there's an argument for distributive equality in a state among citizens based on this idea of reciprocity in upholding public goods. So because we all do our part to obey the law, we all pay our taxes, we're all owed something from each other based on the fact that we all benefit from that. But I think when we just leave it at that, we ignore the fact that some people play a particularly direct role in upholding some of these essential public goods. So, for example, healthcare, right? So I think insofar as we all benefit from public goods, those who play a special irreplaceable role in providing them have a special claim to benefit from our social schemes of cooperation, which I think, again, that justifies not just decent pay and reasonably safe conditions. These should be among the very best treated and best paid workers in our economy, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with with your arguments. And I think it, it takes us to actually look, <laughs> it takes us to actually look at the bigger picture as well. Because I think when we're talking about, you know, the, the, the special role that they have in our society and how they have some sort of irreplaceability, there are also, you know, other workers uh, that are very important in this pandemic and generally in society. So what this pandemic seems to be doing is um, forcing us to reconsider, you know, if equally deserving can be better than merit-based distribution, for example, because normally those type of distributions um, carry the burden of historical discrimination and issues of inequality and rethinking what our priorities are and how public health is a basic fundamental need that seems to be accessible to all is, is sort of uh, resonating with this idea. The pandemic emphasizes this domino effect of giving unequal access to health, to um, how it relates to social status, the type of job or uh, your level of education that becomes irrelevant when we're all equally exposed and equally responsible in being careful and taking collective action. So um, as a society, and I think um, this reflects uh, in different cultures as well, because it is a global phenomenon, uh, we, we currently have a tendency to think that a fair distribution can be measured. 
measured by the amount of work, by the levels of productivity of individuals. But there are many other factors to be considered, like like what you were saying. Um, in this case, of course, qualifications determine some t sometimes how much you are paid. But the pandemic shows us that other services that are normally the type of jobs that do not qualify to a better pay, that are at the lowest of the value scale that we have created, like cleaners, you know, farmers or people that do delivery services, can be critical for society to function. So how come we don't assign the same value to those? There are obviously uh, quite evident economic and societal reasons we could argue for this, but situations like this uh, sort of make moral distinctions uh, flourish. They make it more prominent. So how are we going to assign this value in a near future, for example, where jobs are scarce and instability perdures, making us, for example, question, would it be a good idea to have something like a universal type income? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think anytime we we face a crisis, we always have to kind of look around us and see what ideas we have around that we can apply as potential solutions or potential responses. But I think it's rare that an idea is lying around which is so well suited to the situation and the crisis we're in. So I think universal basic income for so many reasons uh, is a kind of natural response, right? So number one, there's an instrumental argument for it straightforwardly, right? Our economies, our societies are going to be potentially expanding and contracting for who knows how long. And there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. There's going to be a lot of economic anxiety that might stop people consuming and spending. And I think one thing a universal basic income does is it provides a certainty amidst all that kind of change. And that's important, not just in terms of economic security, but also just to allay people's psychological anxieties. So I think that's a, a really important kind of functional argument for it. The other thing is, what we're seeing is we don't tend to look at jobs this way, but jobs are a really scarce resource, right? You having a job means that no one else can have that job. And, you know, people sometimes think of universal basic income as just a handout. But when you notice how lucky some people are to have jobs, and we're seeing that now that you can't take that for granted, that kind of explains why there's a, a kind of justice-based argument for having a tax on workers to provide basic incomes for others. It's because one of the conditions for you having that job is no one else has that job. Uh, so I think that's another really good argument for why this might be an acceptable response. And then the third one is, and it relates in some ways back to what we were saying about healthcare workers specifically. We have to think about what kind of jobs we want to reward and we want to value. And right now there's a disjoint between what we value as a society and what kind of jobs are well remunerated. So we need to think of ways of bridging that gap because otherwise we'll be filtering people into the wrong sort of jobs to produce societal benefits. And one way a universal basic income to me looks like it can help as part of moving in that direction is if you give everyone a basic income, 
that means people can reject certain jobs if the conditions aren't good enough. So then when there are essential jobs that society needs done, they have to be either well paid enough for attracting people to do them or else they won't get done. And that'll provide an incentive for making those key worker jobs being well-paid jobs. And it'll also mean that those jobs which aren't essential, where people aren't willing to provide good, well-paying jobs, those will fall by the wayside. So if we think about a kind of an equation for how to properly value jobs, I think it's a combination of how essential is the job, how willing would other people be to do that job if someone else wasn't doing them. And I think a universal basic income helps us to concentrate our resources and our rewards on those jobs that are really are essential. Yeah, of course, what is essential, uh, you know, is different for uh, different people and we might take different takes on it. But I think uh, asking that question is what is truly essential. Is that idea of understanding um, what type of value we're assigning to a job, um, understanding what the profession or the the actual job is bringing to the table, what is uh, doing for society. And uh, asking these questions is what I think this um, crisis is good for. I mean, Crisis opportunity, uh, I mean, crisis uh, give us the opportunity to think about moral foundations to uh, certain problems because we have a perfect storm in some sort of sense. So we have a scenario in which we're all uh, very close to the the problems where we all feel identified with, with what is happening in different levels. But it takes that idea of, you know, the thought experiment of us um normally arguing about what is justice, what is fairness, what is uh, all of these issues. Um, But it takes it to an actual scenario. This is happening. We need to prioritize our needs. We need to decide what is relevant, what is essential, like you said. And so I think it kind of takes us to uh, this um, original position, very, you know, roles type of position in which um, we all seem to be equally vulnerable. Not in the sense that we are all affected in the same way, but we are all in an instance of vulnerability depending on our situations. So that is an aid to deploy that veil of ignorance on a larger scale. We can ask that from absolutely everyone because we're all in this pandemic together. And so I think uh, the relevance of discussing these things and uh, putting these questions out there uh, relates to how these affections and the sentiments of doing the right thing of, uh, you know, what we're, we were talking about heroes and uh, thanking our workers for helping us in this fight. Um, it kind of distracts us in a way, because once we're back to normal, what happens to those questions, to those uh, worries that we had at the moment? Um, ideally, what we want to do is that we, we want to take the proximity we have with the pandemic right now and make the most of it. Take the opportunity of you know, this heavy social disruption to rethink these moral foundations uh, of our social structures and uh, see that uh, they don't fade away with the crisis. 
So in my vida, they resonate closer right now. But I believe understanding that a privileged and momentary vulnerability is nothing compared to the real inequalities we are facing um, every day and for many years. So I think it's good that we're just putting it out there and taking a more critical approach to something that we should not take for granted. We have a lot of problems that we have uh, left out there and I think it will be nice. Uh, I hope that a lot of people start thinking about this, uh, talking about this because we're all in this together. Awesome. Thanks for listening. The Idea Pod is produced by the Interdisciplinary Ethics Applied Center at the University of Leeds. Music composed and conducted by Josh Armitage. <laughs>